welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the Give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa, and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy! I'm excited. We're in a new year. How many are enjoying the new year so far? Nobody? A few people? Okay. A few people in this room. I don't know. Is it the cold that stops people from going out? You know, I have friends in Nashville that cancel church because they have like a few inches of snow. But we're Canadian, right? Thank God we're Canadian. We can handle, we're, we're resilient, aren't we? We're resilient. I'm not, I'm not knocking my friends in Nashville or anywhere. I'm not at all, but I know they're not equipped. It's different. But thank God that we're equipped to handle weather. And I feel like it's a, it's a picture, an illustration of Canadians as a whole that we are equipped to handle adverse spiritual weather. We're equipped to handle adverse spiritual environment. I mean, we have um, an amazing government. God bless the government. We're praying for the government. But hey, we're, we're, we are equipped, I believe, in Canada for an amazing move of God. Is anybody here? We are. We are. We are equipped for it. We are readied for it. God has put promise and destiny in our nation, in the people of Canada. And the question is always, will you partner with God to be a part of that equation? Will you partner with God to be a part of that dream that's in his heart for this nation, for your life? How many believe he has a dream for your life? i got to engage you a little bit this morning. Remember, we're on a phone call. I want to know that you're there. Okay, if I'm on a phone call with you for 45 minutes and you say nothing, that's just weird and awkward. Right? Right? Nobody does that. Nobody talks for 45 minutes and at the end of the phone call, are you still there? No, you're checking in. You're checking in throughout the phone call, right, constantly. Because if there's no response, you wonder, hey, did their phone get hang, uh, hung up? Had anybody ever spent time talking and you realized after like five minutes the phone was off the whole time? Nobody? Give me, yeah, right, Jackie, yeah, right. You're on the other line, and someone, their phone cuts off, and you don't know their phone cuts off, and you keep talking. No one's ever experienced that. Yeah, okay, a few honest people in the room. Come on. Everybody's probably experienced that once or twice. Or how about with their spouse? You're talking, and you realize your spouse isn't listening to you the entire time. I've experienced that. I've experienced that. Oh, okay. Oh, Gael puts her hands up. <laughs> Let me guess, Jackie's asleep. Is that what it is? Oh, he's asleep. No? He's asleep. I experienced that with him, too. We were driving to Charlotte together. I'm sharing my heart. We're going into deep conversation, and he's passed out in the, in the driver. He's supposed to be the, the, the guide in my right hand, and he's asleep beside me. Anyways, God bless you, sir. <laughs> How many enjoy the cold? I don't enjoy the cold too much. I, we had an interesting week this week. My wife and I, we were in two different parts of the U.S. and uh, for two different things, two different uh, little assignments. And, um, and 
The first leg of the race was a little bit tough, a little bit inconvenient. Thank you so much. A little bit inconvenient. Uh, our flight got canceled from Chicago to Arizona to Phoenix. And so, uh, but we didn't know until, I, I don't know about you, but like I travel a lot. So I, I have this like observation of airlines that when things get delayed once or twice, it's like they're just delaying the inevitable that they're going to cancel. They've already planned they're going to cancel the flight, but they're just not going to tell you, right? It's like after one delay, two delay, you know the patterns. And I was like telling my wife, I'm like, I don't think this flight's going out tonight uh, to, to Phoenix. And uh, lo and behold, um, they gave us the news. And we had to find a hotel for four hours in the middle of and minus, I think it was minus 24 in Chicago. We had no bags. And um, it was uh, absolute chaos and mayhem in the airport. No hotels were even left after we had, we just made it in time, I think, to book a hotel. And even in our in the morning, we woke up and there were people sleeping in the lobby because there was just no room. Um, there was a whole bunch of migrants from the Ven Venezuela living literally in the airport, sleeping in the airport because there was no shelter for them. Uh, sleeping on air mattresses, blow blow up air mattresses. I mean, it was just absolute crazy in Chicago airport. And um, anyways, we get to Phoenix, and we had no bags. Our bags were lost. And so uh, I don't know if you've heard my stories. I Probably the majority of my wardrobe is paid for by my insurance company, by my visa. So our visa company gave us uh, another shopping spree because who knows when we get our clothes back, and the next day we got our clothes back. So God bless our insurance companies, right? You fill my wardrobe. Thank you, God. And um, so, you know, I was talking to another, another friend in Phoenix who travels a lot, and she was saying that uh, almost all of her wardrobe is from losing her bag. And so if you want to go on shopping sprees, just travel a lot, lose your bag, and hopefully you have a good visa card to, to handle the insurance claim on that, and it's all good. But it's inconvenient. How many know inconvenience is not fun? But inconvenience always feels like, at some point, reward. I don't know about you. Suffering always feels like, at some point, there's going to be reward on the other side. When things are hard, it always feels like maybe there's a promise on the other side something's going to be really good and easy. Every time I feel like I'm inconvenienced in life, I feel like God reminds me there is a reward on the other side. But nobody likes the inconvenience. In fact, we run away from inconvenience. We, want to, we run away from inconvenience so much in our life, in our careers, in our relationships, just in everyday life. We run away from inconvenience. I know this because I travel and I see people that uh, ha go to church on Sunday morning but have to inconvenience themselves to get there. There is no parking there is no convenient way of getting there. They have to wait in traffic. They have to take the subway. They have to take an Uber, whatever the case may be. But they find a way because they see value. You will inconvenience yourself for the sake of value. It was inconvenient for us to go shopping and miss a day, but we had no clothes. And I was going to New York right after. I needed clothes. It was inconvenient. So, But I knew there was a reward. I knew there was a reason. I knew that I had to move through the inconvenience to find some sort of blessing out of it. Right? And that's every everything in life. If you feel inconvenienced, just know that it's a setup for God to do something fresh in your life. Embrace it. 
Embrace the trial. Embrace the test. Embrace the abrasion. Embrace the frustration, and you will watch amazing things come out of that. I believe this, that it's a warring season. Everyone say warring. I've been in this theme. I said to you last, last week, I think it was, I don't necessarily have a, a blueprint, but I have a theme. I have a spiritual insight into the nature of the season that we're moving into. We are in wartime. That's the word. We are in a war season, and I'm not just talking about around the world, I'm not just talking about physical war, although everything spiritual that we face usually is manifested and reflected in the natural. We are in a warring type season, warring for what is yours, warring for what's rightfully yours, warring for what you're believing for, warring for what not is and what is, and we're talking about that this morning. We're warring for what God has promised to us, but I want to change the, I want to change your picture of what warring looks like this morning a little bit, and I want to read out of a very well-known passage that you have heard probably a lot, and sometimes when I, when I have words like this, I'm like, God, give me something new for everybody, but this is new, but it's just different, but it feels familiar. So Genesis chapter 2, let's go there together for a second, Genesis chapter 2. Verse 16 says, but the Lord God warned him. Everyone say warned him. It's very important. The Lord God warned who? Adam. Him. Yeah, that's right. Adam. God created the cosmos, heaven and earth. He created the earth. He created a garden called Eden, which means pleasure. He fenced it in. He hedged it in. And then he put man in the middle of the garden. He created man from dust. He created woman from man. This is the origin story. And God warned man, God warned the beginning of humanity with something very important. He said this, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden. Think about this for a second. The garden is lush. The garden has every kind of fruit, everything that's needed for life. The garden is full of provision. But then he said in the center of the garden, there are two trees. And he says this, you may freely eat off of, the, of every tree in the garden, except, everyone say except, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Let me just say this at the onset before we dive into this, today's focus. If God gives you a warning about something, he's preparing you for a warring for something. If God gives you a warning about something, he's preparing you that something is knocking at your door that you need to protect your heart for and in, and you're going to have to war against. When there's a warning, there's always a warring. Think about that for a second. If, if, if you see a sign on the highway, warning, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, what's a warning sign on the highway? Falling rocks is a great one. You're, you're, you're on a cliff. Listen, what you're warring for in those moments is to pay attention, to keep your focus, right? Because you don't want to turn a corner, and because you're not aware of the potential of the warning of the falling rocks, you're just looking at the, you know, the stars, you're looking at the beautiful ocean beside you, but you're by a cliff, and you're not paying attention to the warning, and you've not warred for focus in that time. Guess what? A rock will fall, potentially destroy your journey, take you out. 
If there is a warning, it's a setup for you to war over something or against something. And I want to talk this morning about warring to focus on what we do have. Write that down. The war for what you do have. Write it down in your notes if you're taking notes. Because I think we focus so much on warring over what we don't have. I think we focus so much on believing for what's not. Believing for the promise. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But I want to flip the script this morning a little bit. Because this was the problem in the garden. God said to man and, and, and humanity, Adam and Eve, he said, listen, you can eat off every tree. It's all yours, but one don't touch. You can't touch this. Waiting for any empty hammer people in the room. Thank you. Thank you very much. We talk a lot about, especially here in this house, and I love it, believing for what we have been promised. Faith journey. Walking by faith, not by sight. This is our call. This is the kingdom. This is kingdom living. To walk by faith, believing. But like I said, I want to shift the focus a little bit because the Holy Spirit wants us to think different for a second on this. And I want to flip it to Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 for a second. Paul, who is writing from a place of prison, who is in shackles, who is probably feeling at times discouraged, is encouraging the church at Philippi. says in this, in verse 11, later on in the verse, for I have learned, everybody say learned, how to be content with whatever I have. Does it say I have learned to wrestle in war for what I don't have? No. So I'm focusing on one side of the coin today. I have been, I've learned, and that word learned is to know by experience, okay? So this is not theoretical here. I've not learned because I read a study guide about it. I've not learned because I read a cool devotional about it. No, I have learned by living this kingdom life out that I can be content with what I have and what I don't have. I can be content if I have plenty, and I can be content if I don't have plenty. I can be content if I'm fully clothed, and I can be content if I'm not fully clothed. I can be content if I have a full belly, and I, have, I can be content if I have not so much of a, full, of a full belly. This is what he's saying here. I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know, verse 12, how to live in almost, almost nothing or with everything. Anyone ever lived on almost nothing? No? Nobody? Everyone just born rich? Yeah, you're just born rich? Okay. Okay. I remember when my, my wife and I were first married, our first bed was an air mattress. And we moved seven times the first year we were married. We felt like we had nothing, but we had everything. Weird. We felt like we had nothing if we juxtaposed it against the world standard of what everything is. But inside, together, in unity and in faith, we felt like we had everything we ever needed. And somehow we did what we needed to do, and somehow we survived through it, and somehow we blessed, were blessed through it. But man, if I were to look back now, and I would say, man, it was like poverty-stricken. If I were to judge from my perspective now, we don't sleep on an air mattress anymore. I would say, man, like, was I an irresponsible husband? No, that wasn't the case. We were just in agreement for the exciting journey of being content with not having a lot compared to the world standard. That's why I always say when people, young people come to me and be like, I want to get married, but I don't have a big savings account. I'm like, I'm like, if you want to live a kingdom life, you do what God tells you to do despite your savings account. 
I gotta wait till I have the down payment for the house. I can't get married if I don't have a house, if I don't have a car. I'm like, bro, listen, if you wait, you might miss the boat for all those things. Because by the time you get all your ducks in a row, guess what? That duck that you fell in love with is out of the row. She's gone. He's gone. Don't wait for everything to be perfect before you take a step of faith. If you learn to be content and war for what you do have, you will make room for increase. But if you wait for some magical moment for everything to change before you take that step, you're just robbing yourself of opportunity and breaking through your own limitation in life. Because let me just tell you, the majority of the limitation you face is you, not the devil. It's your own limiting belief systems about yourself and about what you're worth. Are you hearing that this morning? I've learned to be content whether I have nothing or everything. I have learned the secret, listen to what he says here, of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. And then this is the famous verse we all know, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Because, man, in these moments, you're going to need that strength to do everything and move through everything, whether I have nothing or whether I have a lot. I'm going to need God's strength. I believe there is this tension, there's this major tension between stewarding and, and warring for what we do have, enjoying what we do have, this tension between that, and then wrestling for what we don't have that we believe is promised to us. How many know what I'm talking about? Like we have these, these dreams, these goals, and we, we wrestle. But sometimes, this is what I would propose to you, sometimes we sacrifice what we do have on the altar of what we don't have. And that's where we move into dysfunction and disorder. So we so focus on all our lack, on all that we don't have, that we forget about all that we do have. So we do have a job, but we, all we want is the next better job or the bigger paying job, or the next opportunity. But we're not stewarding and wrestling and warring for the current opportunity. Do you see what I'm saying? That oftentimes we stop being content with what is, and we sacrifice what is on the altar of what should be one day, and then we actually totally, and at the end of the day, abort what is. And then move into dysfunction. This is exactly what happened in the garden to Adam and Eve. Let me just continue on here. We know that God's promises are yes and yes. This is part of the tension. God's promises are yes and amen in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. For all the promises of God in him are yes and in him, amen. They're amen. They're so be it. They're yes. They're, there's an agreement between heaven and earth that God's promises are yes and amen. Not no and sometimes. If God has promised you something, it's a yes. Okay? It's a yes every day of the week. So how do, we rest, how do we balance this, I'm going after his promise while not sacrificing the present? I'm going after the future while not sacrificing the present. How do we, how do, we do this? I want to talk about this this morning. Was, we, we can't sit back idly. We can't let life pass us by. We can't just be so content that we become lazy because there's a balance, right? Because some people, they get so content, they become lazy. It's just comfortable. God does not like you comfortable. Comfort in context to God's comfort in your life is very different than you living comfortable. Two different things. 
comfort, comfort because you need comfort because of what you're going through is very different than just living comfortable and living idly. God does not want you to live idly. God wants you to increase. He wants you to multiply. This was the first command in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. You can read it. Be fruitful and what? Stay the same. No. Multiply. You said it. But how many have been fruitful and stay the same? A lot of people in this room, sometimes we're fruitful and we stay the same. Right? We're fruitful. Like we got what we need. Like We're good. But what if God doesn't want to stop you there? So this is the tension, right? We, we, we want to be content and war over what we do have for increase. We want to wrestle for what's not and believe for our promise. But what we don't want is to just be comfortable because we have some good fruit on our tree. Because eventually fruit goes bad. I got some ripe fruit in my kitchen right now. If I don't eat that fruit in, in due time and get more fruit, that fruit's going to go bad. It's going to go to waste. Eventually your fruit will go bad. You need new fruit. That's part of the kingdom. John 15 talks about how God comes as the vine dresser and he prunes us back so we can produce more fruit. He never lets the fruit just stay on the tree. He prunes us back so we can produce more. Prunes us back so we can produce more. We go through loss so we can go to gain. Go to loss go so we can go to gain. That's the kingdom. We lose so we can grow. You with me? David even struggled with this idea of not being content with what he had. And David was like really wealthy. I mean, he, Psalm 73, verse 3, for I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. Here I am full of integrity, or here I am, you know, even though I've made mistakes, I've repented, I see all these people that just live wickedly and prosper. How many know some people that just were pretty messed up and still prosper? But just because there's a view of external prosperity doesn't mean there's internal prosperity. You could be externally wealthy and internally impoverished. In fact, that's the equation of many really, really, really wealthy people. You, you see this, and you talk to them, there's an emptiness. I mean, I, was, I just had an amazing privilege in New York City of being literally in a room with some of the wealthiest people in New York City. Some of the wealthiest people in New York City. Some of the people that literally own the majority of real estate in New York City. Some of the wealthiest people. And just realizing, like, listen, like, I could be envious of, like, what that would feel like to never have to think about money. Right? But just because they don't maybe have to think about money the way that I do, doesn't mean that there's an internal prosperity on the inside of them. An assurance on the inside of them. So let's continue on here. I believe there's a war for what we do have. A war for what we do have in this season. And that war often is to ignore all that we have and go after what we don't have, even to the, to the degree of a forbidden provision. This is what happened to Adam and Eve. They went after something that was forbidden. I want to read Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. Let's go there for a second. Give a little more context. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. So he made the garden first, and then he planted man in the garden. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, everyone say middle. Very important, the middle. 
in the center of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why is this so strategic and so important? God does not waste his time with expressing certain things the way that he does. There's a reason why he didn't put it at the side, at the beginning, at the end of the, of the garden, at the perimeter of the garden. He put these two trees in the middle side by side. One represented life and one represented death. Life and death were in the middle of the garden. And man had a choice to choose life or death every single day. You know, you have a choice every day to choose life or death. That you live in a metaphorical garden of Eden every day of your life and you have a choice to eat off the tree of life or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. One that produces death and one that produces life. And God said you can eat off every tree, but there's one tree beside the tree of life in the middle of the garden you can't touch because if you touch it, if you eat off of it, you will surely die. What he was saying is you're not going to die instantly. You're not going to fall over and die. But death will enter into humanity because I've created you perfect. You will not die. You're going to live eternally. The Garden of Eden was literally heaven on earth. That is why we're blocked out of the Garden of Eden. Do you know that? The Garden of Eden is a literal heaven on earth experience, and that's why after sin entered the world, no longer any human could go back into the Garden of Eden. You know why? Because in sin, if you ate off the tree of life, you would live in sin for the rest of your life. You couldn't get out of it. So God kicked them out of the garden. I don't want you to live in your sin, so you have to die. I don't want you to live eternally in your sin, so you have to die. But the Garden of Eden was literally a picture of heaven on earth. How do I know this? Because this is where God walked in the cool of the day with man. There was unabandoned, uninhibited unhindered relationship, intimacy with God. They were naked. It was the first nudist colony that we'd ever had known to men. They didn't even know they were naked. They just frolicked around free. How many would like to do that again when you die or in your house with your spouse? Frolic is the word. That's the, that's the word. Frolic. But they didn't know they were naked. They didn't know they were vulnerable. They didn't know there was nothing hidden. They just knew that's all it was. They, all, all they were was God conscious. All they were, they were not sin conscious. All they were, were God, was God conscious until this shrewd serpent, Satan in the form of a serpent, came and began to cause questioning in Adam and Eve. Did God really say? Did God really say? And I want to just, and before I do go into this, I want to I share two specific strategies the enemy used to attack us with that we see in this passage, in this storyline. Two specific strategies the enemy will use to attack us. But I want us to realize this. And as I'm talking, think about this concept of they had everything that they needed to live. And what did they zero in on? The one thing they didn't have. A knowledge of good and evil. Isn't that the kind of the temptation of all of us right now? We have all these amazing things in our life to live, and yet we zero in on what we don't have. We zero in on what we lack. We zero in on the one thing that we don't. They didn't have a knowledge of good and evil. They only had a knowledge of God, knowledge of good. They only had a knowledge of God consciousness. They had no sin consciousness at this point. That's why after they made the mistake, what did they do? They hid themselves because now they have a sin consciousness. 
they hid themselves from God after they made the mistake, and God was like, where are you? And he found them hiding. Why? Because they were sin conscious now. They were ashamed. They were in guilt. They were in condemnation. So two attacks, write these things down. Write them down. If you don't write them down, you're not going to learn. You're not going to grow. Two specific strategies in this storyline. Number one, write this down. The enemy will twist the truth. Isn't that kind of what's happening in society today? He'll twist the truth a little bit. You know, you were born, but you were born the wrong way. Maybe you should change. God, God, there was, God made a mistake when he made you. Like, like, like we, I believe that you were created in the image of God. I believe that you were created with a purpose. I believe that you were created on purpose. You're not going to argue. I, you will never win an argument with me on that front. So if you were born a male, God destined you to be a male. If you were born a female, God destined you to be a female. Now, the enemy is so creative and clever, he'll make you think that that was a mistake. And he'll just attack you, attack you, attack you, attack you, shame you, shame you. You're not that, you're not that, you're not loved. You see, you're so not loved, God even made a mistake making you. Now, if you believe that you just evolved from a monkey and you were an accident, then I get it. You can wrestle with that. But the moment you believe you were created by a creator, there's no wrestle. Because to doubt that he had an intention in your life is to say that he is an imperfect creator who made a mistake. There's just no argument there. God doesn't make mistakes. Do you believe that? I don't know if you believe that. But the enemy will come and he'll twist the truth. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, we see this. Write this down or, or write this scripture down anyways. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say that you were a male? That's not what he said, but I'm just applying it through my last statement. Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees of the garden? Did God really say it? Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees of the garden? Because there was one tree they couldn't eat, right? But did he really say, like, it wasn't accessible to you? So there's this, like, there's this response in the, and, you know, the, the woman responds to the, starts engaging. Because this is the thing. When you engage the devil, this is where you get into trouble. Starts engaging the enemy. Well, yeah, God told me if I touch it, I will surely die. I will surely die. And of course, God wasn't saying you're going to die on the spot. Now, this is how the enemy comes in and twists it. Did God really say you're going to, like, really die? Are you actually going to die right away? Like, are you actually going to die? Like, you touch it, you're dead. No. Did God really say it that way? Was, he, was, that, was that his intention? Then, so they're, they're engaging in this conversation. Verse 4, the enemy responds to the woman. Verse 4, chapter 3. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, of this tree, your eyes will finally be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What a temptation. You know why he was tempting mankind to do that? There was many reasons. But one of the reasons, because this was the very thing that caused him to fall. The enemy, called Lucifer, was a covering cherub in the Garden of Eden. And he wanted to be like God. He wanted to exalt himself to be like the most holy God. He wanted something that he didn't have. Right? He wasn't content with his place, his position. The very thing that took the enemy out is the very thing he used to take you out. 
that God released it. Because he knows if you eat off this tree, you'll just be like him. This was my quest. You'll be like him. Because now you'll know good and evil. Right now you only know good. You only have a God conscious. But if I can get you to have an evil consciousness, I could shackle you. And everyone born after will be born shackled. That's my plan. But he didn't know that God knew this was going to happen. God already had a redemption plan in place. That's why the book of Revelation says the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world even began. So God knew this was going to happen. Does that mean we have no free will? Absolutely not. God just knows what you're going to pick before you pick it. That doesn't mean God's robotically engineering your moves. It just means he knows your moves. You know that you can know patterns. You know that you know, as, a, as a person, as a human, you can determine patterns and predict things. You know that, right? Well, imagine how the creator, outside of all natural abilities, he can predict and he knows because he created you. He orders your steps. He knows what you're going to do before you do it. So he knew the enemy was going to do this. He knew Adam and Eve would do this, but he already had a plan in place to redeem you and I back to the Father through his son, Jesus Christ, who would come, die on a cross, thousands and thousands of years later to redeem us back to God and to restore the Garden of Eden life back to all humanity. And that Garden of Eden life is intimacy and reconnection with our Creator. Are you with me? He twists the truth. He twi- this is the first temptation. The first temptation was centered around lack. Think about this for a second. How many struggle sometimes with that? Nobody. Okay, I'm the only person in the room here. Okay. How many struggle with lack sometimes, the temptation of, of seeing lack? I see it all the time in my life. This was the first temptation of man that took them out. To get them to focus on not what they have and war for what they have. All the thousands of trees of provision in the garden. And to focus on the one tree in the middle that they couldn't touch. Right? Isn't that kind of the story of a lot of our lives sometimes? We, we sacrifice everything that we have and get so focused on what we don't have because society tells us we need to have it. The first temptation was entirely centered around lack. What you don't have access to. It was a forbidden provision. How many of us have gone down the road of forbidden provisions? Man, I have over the years. I So many times, like, you know, opportunity, like, oh, I, I, I need to make some extra money. And so opportunity comes, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this thing. And, and I'm, I can feel like maybe inside of me greed is motivating me. And then I, I, I do the thing because I, I feel like that's the answer. And then I do it, and I realize, oh, my gosh, you know what? My motives were wrong, and it was a forbidden provision. And now I have to pick up the, the pieces. Now I've learned over the years to discern when my motives are right. It's taken time to discern. How many know it takes time to discern sometimes your own motives. After you've experienced enough things and after you've learned enough things through experience, you can discern, okay, you know what? I feel my motive for this is off. I'm not touching that, that tree. That isn't a tree for me. It's a forbidden tree for me. The reality of it is we have already been given everything we need in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, I'll say to this, with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. You have everything you need right now. It's set. It's solved. It's all there. You have the wardrobe. 
You just got to go and access it. You have it. They had the garden. They had all the trees. They just have to access it. But they said they walked by every tree in their garden. They walked by their entire wardrobe. And they went shopping for something they didn't need. How many have gone shopping for something you've never needed? Man, just this Christmas, I got two of the same shirt. By complete accident. I had asked, you know, I had asked uh, 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 my wife for something. And I think I forgot that I had asked her for something. And then something happened and I got a gift card and I bought the same thing. I got the same thing twice. I can't really return it because it was a gift card. One of them was a gift card. But man, it happens all the time where we get stuff we don't need. That's not, we don't need it. We go shopping for things we don't need because we forget what we have in our closet. We forget what's already there under the tree. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. The truth is, say it with me, we lack nothing. Say it, we lack nothing. We lack, you lack nothing. You live in a metaphorical garden of Eden. So what if sometimes in life, when we're warring for our promise and our future, we're forgetting everything that we already have? What if in this season there is an element that we are called to war over what currently is to make room for increase to move us into our promise? Psalms 23, verse 1, one of my favorite verses, verse 1. In Psalms 23, verse 1, there are six verses in this chapter. If you don't know this chapter, this is a, this is a kingdom, life transformational chapter. You want to meditate on anything, meditate on Psalms 23. There's six verses that will change your life. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. The Lord is my, there's so much power in that statement. The Lord is my Jehovah Rohi. My leader, my shepherd, the one who guides me, guards me, protects me, and I shall not lack. He is my, he's Jehovah Jireh, the provider. He is my leader and he is my provider. Powerful. You hear that? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not what? Lack. Because he is my leader, guess what? There is no lack. So if I feel lack, I wonder if it's because we are not eating off of the trees that he's already provided for us. If we feel lack, I wonder if we're walking by every tree in our garden every day and looking at the forbidden one. Because we think, because of the enemy saying, if you just eat off this, you'll be even better. If you just eat this tree, go after this tree, you'll be like him. You'll be like God. You'll be like that next guy. You'll be like the next Elon Musk. You'll, do, you'll be the next giant CEO, five, 500 Fortune 100 company. You'll be that guy if you just eat off this tree. I know so many people. I know people that are in jail right now because of that. Because they ate off the wrong tree over and over again. They failed to steward the current ones. It was never enough. How many know what I'm talking about? That never enough mentality. Dangerous mentality. It's a greed mentality. It's a never enough mentality. The promise is we will not lack. The devil lusted after what he didn't have. He didn't have superiority. He wanted to be better than God like the Most High. The very thing he lost everything over is the very thing he tempts us with every single day. He twisted the truth. But you, Adam and Eve, you have everything, yes. You, you don't lack, but you lack the knowledge of good and evil. You only know good. I want to just give you a little bit of a, 
insight into something. Write this down if you can. A wealthy mindset versus a poverty mindset. Write that down. A wealthy mindset versus a poverty mindset. I don't know if it's on the screen here. A wealthy mindset focuses on what is available to multiply. This is something that I've learned by hanging out with people that have inspired me over the years to think different. That have a mindset like this. By the way, let me just clarify something. Wealth that I'm talking about right now has nothing to do with material possessions. Okay, it's about a mindset. Because you can be rich in material possessions and have a poverty mentality. I know a lot of really, really rich people that have a poverty mentality. Okay, so I'm talking about a mindset here, okay? A wealthy mindset focuses on what is available to multiply. This is the mindset that God wanted Adam and Eve to have in the garden. You have all access passed to every tree in the garden. With the right mindset, this is all you need. This is all you're ever going to need. You have more than enough. It's Je- I'm not just Jehovah Jireh here. I am actually El Shaddai. I am the God of more than enough in this moment. You can eat off all of these thousands of trees. And I don't know how many trees were in the garden, but I'm assuming a lot. It was probably a big garden. But a wealthy mindset focuses on what is available to multiply. A poverty mindset, write this down, focuses on what is not available and ends up engaging the wrong thing. A poverty mindset says it's not enough. A poverty mindset says um, I need more. A poverty mindset is motivated by greed. A wealthy mindset is motivated by, by this desire to steward and increase what's already available. You talk to any wealthy person that has a correct wealthy mindset, they utilize what's already available to build their, their wealth and capital. But a poverty mindset has a survivor mechanism in it that's take, 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 hoard, 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 and then complain that it's not enough. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's never enough. It's never enough. They, they, they never have enough. They never have enough. It's never, it's never good enough. It's just, and this, this, this expresses itself in every area of our life. Greed is the seedbed of a poverty mindset. It's the seedbed. This was the temptation in the Garden of Eden. temptation of the garden in the garden of eden was exactly this to be greedy for what you don't have to sacrifice what you do have on the altar of what you don't have and this was the wrestle that humanity had with the enemy in the form of a serpent in the garden because remember satan was just attacking mankind with the very thing he was attacked with and he, he used lies, twisted truth, as his mechanism. Number two, write this down. He twists the truth so that he can redirect our affections. He redirects our affections. This is the second strategy he uses that we see in the storyline. He redirects our affection. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw. So remember, think about this scenario for a second. Their attention was God-conscious. Their attention was on God who walked with them in the cool of the day. Their attention was on all the provision that was available to them, not on what was not available to them. And all of a sudden, in that moment, he redirected through twisted truth. He redirected their affection towards the tree that they weren't allowed to touch. 
So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree, listen to this, desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And then she gave it to her husband, and he ate. Let me just say this, that this is the beginning, this was the onset of the attack on men not leading. From the very beginning, let me just tell you this. In the game of chess, what is the most important player? The king. If the king dies, the game is over. The most important player is the king. Now, the most powerful player is the queen. But there is an order to things here. I don't know what would have happened if Adam didn't come into agreement with his wife. I don't know what would have happened. We, we, can't, we can't propose anything on that. I have no idea. But all I know is we see the attack on men beginning in the garden. Men did not, if men do not do what they know is right to do, dysfunction begins to happen. Now, I'm not saying women don't have a responsibility. They have a great responsibility. But we see today, in today's day and age, what's being, what's one of the number one things being attacked the most right now? Manhood. Masculinity. Leadership. In these areas, being attacked. It started in the garden. Started in the garden. So when the women saw the tree was good for food. Her affection shifted. Her affection shifted. Remember, the nature, and we see this, and I didn't read this for you, but in Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 15 to 16, it speaks about uh, Satan. He's illustrated in this chapter. It says, you were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until iniquity was found in you. And I've shared this over and over again. The nature of Satan himself is iniquity. Iniquity denotes not uh, 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 an action, but a state of being. He was, he literally was sin himself. Iniquity is another word for, for sin, the sin nature. He was sin himself. And if you break that word iniquity down in the Hebrew, the letters spell out a sentence. And that sentence is whatever your eye hooks into multiplies in your life. So Satan was trying to get Eve's eye to hook into a tree that wasn't for her, a provision that wasn't for her, so that sin would multiply in through her life. So that there would be a lack, a spirit of lack that would multiply in and through everybody born after. Her eye hooked into the tree that was desirable to make one wise. A false wisdom. Wasn't a God wisdom. It was a false wisdom. She was lured in by the eyes. God is always, the enemy is always attacking the eyes. These are the doorways to your soul. You know that? Your eyes are the doorway to your soul. The gateway to your soul. The enemy is always at the door. You know what we see in Genesis chapter 4? Let's go there for a second. We're almost done here. In verse 7, when, there is a, when, when Cain and Abel are having their issue, the firstborn kids after Adam and Eve, remember the story. Cain kills Abel. Cain had a, a good offering, an okay offering, and Abel had an acceptable one. Cain was jealous because God didn't accept Cain's offering because it wasn't the best. It wasn't his best. He brought his just good, his satisfactory, his C-minus offering. That's what he did. Remember, he kills Abel because of it. 
But it says here that God gave Cain an opportunity to realign himself in verse 7. It says this in Cain, you will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at your door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. Listen, the devil's always at your door. Crouching at your door, waiting to get in. If he can get your attention and your affection off of the right thing onto the wrong thing through the eye gate, guess what will happen? Things that should not be produced through your life will be produced through your life. Remember, iniquity, whatever your eye hooks into, will multiply through your life. If he can get your affection, he could get your multiplication. If he could get the things that you desire out of whack, man, you will produce negative fruit, consequential fruit, fruit that you're not supposed to produce. That is not God's plan for your life. Are you, are you hearing this this morning? I really hope that you're getting something from this. Remember, greed is the seedbed. The seedbed for what we're talking about here, the seedbed for a poverty mindset. If your eye is greedy, greed will multiply. If your eye is dissatisfied, dissatisfaction will multiply. If your eye is corrupt, corruption will multiply. Think about this for a second. Every area of dissatisfaction you have right now, think about that for a second. What areas are you most dissatisfied in? I can tell you a whole bunch. If my eyes are focused on what I'm dissatisfied about, guess what? More dissatisfaction will multiply in my life. This is how he twists the truth. If I can get my, if the enemy can get my attention to be affectionate towards the things. When I say affectionate, whatever you meditate on, you are affectionate towards. If I'm thinking all day long about how unsatisfied I am about A, B, C, D, E, constantly, all the lack I have about A, B, C, D, E, and that's what I'm meditating on, my affection is going towards that, and I'm doing exactly what Eve is doing, and I'm getting my eyes off of all of the trees of provision and onto the one tree that I shouldn't be looking at, and as a result, guess what? That dissatisfaction in my life will multiply more and more to the place where I completely break down. And I see nothing good. And I can literally be in a garden full of lush abundance and walk by every tree every day. And all I see is what I don't have. Adam and Eve literally were frolicking naked. Think about the picture for a second. Happy. But somehow they walked by every abundant provision that was available to them and just zeroed in on the one thing that they didn't have. The one thing that they lacked, knowledge of good and evil. And, God, and the devil sucked them into it. I see this happen to so many people. I feel at times in my life I've been tempted this way. To forget all the good things that are around my life and only zero in on what I don't have and get so frustrated with all the things that aren't happening. That's the thing that happens to me sometimes. It's like I get so frustrated at all the things that are not happening, I forget what is there. And you know what, you people that do that, they're not present in the moment. They're not present. I don't want to be a dissatisfied soul because I let the enemy twist and say, you know what, there could be more for you. Just, just stop looking at all the things that God has given and provided for you and just get on zeroed in on what you don't have. Dangerous place to live. And that's where we get into a poverty mindset. See, a poverty mindset seeks to replace the lack with something. 
a wealthy mindset seeks to utilize what's already available and make it grow. You know, a, a, a fruit has a seed inside of it. They could have enjoyed the fruit and planted more trees in the garden. They could have made the garden five times the size that it was. Right? They could have increased, 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 increased. But they lost everything and were kicked out of the most special place on earth because of a temptation of lack to give in to focusing on what we don't have. Let this be a word for us. Let's war for what we do have in this season of our life. There is, a, there is restricted provision, and then there's God's provision. What is restricted in your life right now that you're going after? I always ask my wife, you know, I, 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 have, I do a lot of things. I'm involved in a lot of things. I'm like, man, like I, I, I got to keep make sure I'm not distracted. There's so many things that I'm managing all the time. And I'm, I, I'm always asking this question, God, I, I want to steward what is already in my garden. I don't want to just be going after what I don't have all the time. And I was thinking about something, and I want to close with this. And this is more personal. I, one of the things that we did in Phoenix this, this, this week was um, when we finally got there, it was like a, a gathering of leaders from around mostly North America. There was a 70, I think 70 of us in the room. Um, and there were... Uh, many of the people in that room have been friends over the years that we've been connected with and hadn't seen in some time and uh, got to reconnect with a lot of them and it was just very refreshing. Uh, something that we used to do in LA every year for years before the pandemic was something like this. This is a little bit different. This was with a spiritual mother of ours that we've had over the years that has really invested in our lives, Patricia King. And she um, gathered all these leaders from around North America and it was like a pouring into the pouring into leaders and relational and accountability all that kind of stuff and i had a conversation i think probably out of anything that happened there this is what i came back with one of the things i came back with i reconnected with a friend of mine todd white that i hadn't seen in years i don't know if you know who that is and it's funny there's always a funny conversation that we have because i had dreadlocks first and uh, he has dreadlocks and we always have a conversation about dreads and he still has them. I think it's 17 years strong. I only had them for seven years, but, or nine years, yeah, seven years, but he still has them. We always have a conversation around that for some reason. I don't know why, but when you have dreads, you know, um, the pain and the process and the, you know, and if you're white, it's really complicated just so you know. Um, but anyways, all that to say is we were talking and after we had this little moment together, he shares this thing with me, and he begins to cry, and then I begin to cry. You can feel the presence of God just hit us both at the same time. We were just in the lobby before the meeting started. And he said this to me, and it, and it just really hit me, and I feel like it connects to this message. He said, and I want to, actually, I want to read it because I don't want to mess it up. So just give me a second here. I, I really feel like I need to read it. But I do believe this is a word for our house, and I, I am praying about what this looks like, and I believe it's a word for us in this season, you as an individual. He said this, if what you have doesn't meet your need, it must be your seed. 
let that sink in for a second. If what you currently have that you feel that you have does not meet your need, it must be your seed. You don't feel like you have, you feel encouraged in this season, go encourage, go and encourage somebody. You don't feel like you have a lot of hope in this season, go give somebody hope in this season. You feel like you're struggling financially, go bless somebody financially. Go be generous. You feel like you don't have a lot of time in this season, show your time, be generous with your time. And this is the upside down kingdom that we live in, right? This is, this is the nature of the kingdom. To receive, we must give. To be first, we must be last. To go higher, we must go lower. This is the nature of living a biblical kingdom life. And I just wonder in this season and chapter of our lives if there are areas as a house, as individuals, that we feel like we have need, even though there probably is not a need, we just don't know the strategy. And I wonder if the strategy is in this season, in the areas that you've not broken through in, to begin to sow in the ground in the very same thing that you've not broken through in. Are you hearing this right now? I wonder if one of the strategies for your own heart in the midst of you being sick is praying for the sick more and more every day. I wonder if one of the strategies in you being discouraged is being going out of your way to encourage more and more every day. I wonder what would begin to take place. And I want to apply this to the spirit of this house, to your lives in this season. And I want you to pray about what that looks like because I believe that God's going to do something amazing with that revelation. I want you to stand up as we close here this morning. I really hope you got something from this this morning. I believe the Holy Spirit is really speaking to many of you. And even just what I just said, there are areas of your life that's a struggle right now. I want to encourage you. Inquire. Ask God in relationship and say, hey, what areas, the very areas that I have need right now, what areas can I begin to sow a seed? Give a seed. I need more time, man. I don't have any time. Start being generous with your time and watch what begins to happen. I know, Matt, you've done that recently with his business, and I won't take your limelight away from you, but he's made some decisions to be generous with certain things in his business, and he's seeing growth now in his business. And maybe that's for you. You need business. You need contracts. You need, hey, what if you show some contracts? What if you offer your time and you see what God does with that? Listen, God's going to give you a strategy. God's going to give you a model to live from. God's going to give you an order, help you order your steps. Don't do things the way the world tells you to do them. Do things the way God tells you to do them, and you'll win every day of the week. Just close your eyes just for a few moments. God, God I, pray, I pray in this moment right now that you would speak loud. For those that are here that maybe have never said yes to you in relationship. It's the most important decision they'll ever make in their life. And I just pray that in this moment, God, there would be an openness in their heart. I pray that there would be an openness to get off the fence of indecision, off the fence of, of, of living two lives, a double standard life, and just jump into relationship with you. Jesus, you died on a cross to set us free. You resurrected to raise us up to new life. And I just pray that in this moment, we would have a revelation and realize the gravity of that this morning. And there would be a setting of setting uh, free of people today, that people would feel that they're bound up and shackled and in spiritual handcuffs. There would be a setting us free today in Jesus' name. God, I pray for deliverance this morning of addiction. 
for those that are addicted right now, those that are struggling right now, those that are just in pain of repetitious patterns that are destroying their lives that they know they probably shouldn't be doing, but they just feel stuck. I pray, God, for freedom this morning.